Let's say thank you to Donna again. So some of you may remember that video uh, from when she first did that last year. And uh, we're showing that again today because uh, Miss Donna Tesh has uh, come through with a brand new load of hats. All right. And uh, more hats this time than last time. And uh, this time she took um, she took the time to make these little nice wooden tags that say love on them and to sew them onto every single one of the hats that she uh, gave to us today. And so uh, we just want to celebrate her and celebrate her generosity using her gifts, uh, using what she can give. And that's just absolutely beautiful. And uh, we wanted to honor her today to say thank you again and uh, encourage you. If you need one of uh, Miss Donna's hats, then go get one, please, today. And, uh, you know, it's beautiful that she said she was praying for people as she was sewing them and or, or sewing them. What is it? Crocheting them? Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, I'm so artsy. And um, that she's praying for people that were going to be wearing them. But how about this? How about we pray for Miss Donna? And as you uh, remember her, maybe some of you are going to grab one of those hats. And as you put that hat on and as you wear it, how about pray for her too? Because she needs our prayers. And um, yeah, special, special friend. Thank you, Jesus, for Miss Donna. Awesome. Jesus, yeah, we don't just say that. We, we, we pray for Ms. Donna today. And we pray that you would encourage her deeply. Um, please let her know, speak to her heart, and help us to communicate in the best way that we can just how meaningful it is what she's doing, uh, the, how deeply meaningful her entire life is. And, um, yeah, help us to express that in a way that is meaningful back to her. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so today we are uh, beginning a new series here as we're moving into this new year. And uh, we're going to be moving into the Gospels here from, uh, from now until uh, Easter. Okay. And so we do that every year. It's part of this pattern that we follow. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and, and remind us of that next week. Uh, but it's part of this pattern that we follow to keep ourselves rooted in the larger story of Scripture. Uh, also rooted in that church calendar that connects us to the global church around the world. As, as churches around the world are walking through uh, the scriptures together, uh, many of the same scriptures at the same time. Uh, and that unity uh, that there is in that kind of journey. And so today we are uh, turning into the Gospels. And so we'll be there and walking with Jesus as we were awaiting the arrival of Jesus at Advent and celebrating the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. Now we're walking with Jesus through his life. Uh, as we head towards uh, as we head towards Lent, which then we'll turn that corner and head towards the cross uh, with Jesus. And so we're in that part of the year where we're going to be immersing ourselves in the Gospels uh, and the stories of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus people. All right. Anybody old enough to remember like the first wave of what was called the Jesus people? 
I knew I was thinking of you, man. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. And so these people who in American history uh, a few generations back uh, were known as these people who were just totally surrendered to Jesus. This wave of revival, uh, this sense of awakening uh, and people who were who were seeing their lives transformed in this fresh commitment to Jesus and experiencing his grace in beautiful and surprising kinds of ways. And so we're going to be walking through the Gospels and looking at Jesus' people and looking at gospel prayers of surrender, what it looks like for us as a community of believers together to be set apart for surrender in our relationship with Jesus. So we're starting today in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 17, which is actually uh, the, whole, uh, the whole chapter, okay? And uh, so we're going to read the whole chapter here uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, starting with verse 1, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken about through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out, from, went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the, and the whole region of the, of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that would have been the religious elite, the religious leaders, the leaders of the religious system of that day. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do and do uh, not think that you can say to yourselves uh, we have Abraham as our father I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire anybody want to hang out with John the Baptist <laughs> all right he would have been a pleasure on Facebook, right? All right. Then he continues. This is so powerful. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Amen. Now who wants to hang out with John the Baptist? Yes. Sign me up. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking uh, today at John the Baptist, this, this quintessential image of, of, of what Jesus' people look like, these people who live by the all-consuming yes. So we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. And so as you picked up there in that description of how he lived, of where he was uh, located in his ministry, John the Baptist is like this desert-dwelling uh, nomad prophet. Okay, I think we have an image of him. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, <laughs> I had to do it, y'all. All right? I had to do it. How many here have seen Star Wars, the new Star Wars? Awesome. All right. It is showing at the varsity. I am so tempted to, like, do a showing and then have, like, a discussion after where I just talk constantly about how much I loved it. All right. Bryce and Andrew, you can, uh, you can moderate, okay? Awesome. Uh, so spoiler alert about the new movie, Obi-Wan Dies. I'm just kidding. He died in the first one like 42 years ago, all right? <laughs> if that's a spoiler for you, then you're like 42 years too late, and that's not my problem. That's your fault, okay? <laughs> all right. All right, let's move on to the, uh, to the real. No! No! no. <laughs> there it is. All right. <laughs> there it is. By the way, could you just play that music the whole time I'm preaching? Everyone would thank you, including me. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so John the Baptist, uh, this, this, uh, Yes, there he is. All right, the desert-dwelling nomad prophet, uh, strange person, all right, as you see from his description and and the way that it describes him here. Uh, This powerful ministry that he has, people coming out to the desert uh, because of the power of this prophetic ministry, and he is baptizing them for repentance. And it's this symbol of what is to come. He's described as this pioneer, as this forerunner, as this trailblazer for the arrival of the Messiah. And as we see in this story, the turning point where Jesus is revealed as the Messiah and John plays this role in being a part of that revelation. So we're going to unpack this together here today under this thought here that Jesus' people live by the all-consuming yes. The all-consuming yes. John's life is defined by this all-consuming yes. It's one yes to Jesus, one yes to the will of God that actually ends up, that ends up unleashing thousands of much smaller no's. Okay? One yes that unleashes thousands of smaller no's. And his life shows us what this looks like. First of all, he says yes to the wilderness. Yes to the wilderness. This is where we first meet him as this prophet who is out there fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way. And that is what he's doing. The reality for all of us is if we're going to be Jesus' people, if we're going to be defined in our lives by this all-consuming yes, then the wilderness or the desert is going to be a part of our story 
as well. It's going to be a part of our story, and we have to realize that. From the very beginning of this journey that we are invited on with Jesus as he gives us this invitation, come follow me. It indicates that a life of Jesus is a life of movement. He does not leave you in a stagnant state. He tells you to keep walking with him. It's a dynamic relationship, a a relationship of movement. And as we follow Jesus, the landscape will change. The landscape will change change. So it's not a life of just only the green pastures or life of rest next to the still waters. Also, it will involve seasons of desert for you. Seasons that feel like you are in the wilderness. Those are difficult times. Everything in your life, in your relationship with him, it feels dry. You're not sure that your faith is going to survive this stretch. And you think that the desert is forever. But be encouraged. Number one, he's with you in that. And he's walking with you through that. Even when you can't sense him, he is there. He is moving. He's with you. But the desert is not forever. The desert isn't forever. This is a journey of following Jesus. It's a dynamic relationship, a moving relationship. And the journey is a part of it, but it's not the full destination. It's a part of preparation. So I would encourage you today, if you find yourself in that place of wilderness, in that place of desert, then realize that it's a time of preparation for you. And I want to challenge you to begin by saying yes to the wilderness. Say yes to the desert. Holy Spirit, even though I do not want to be here, even though I want my surroundings to be completely different, even though I want my circumstances to be completely different. I'm longing for something, and I'm not there yet. But in this time, help me to see how you are preparing me and help me to say yes, even to the wilderness, even to the desert. Open my eyes to what you are forming in me, to how you are shaping me. Help me to say yes to the wilderness. Amen. Amen. The next piece is this. John the Baptist teaches us to say yes to repentance. This is the the message that he brings. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. For the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. It is upon us. As the kingdom draws near, the kingdom reorients our allegiances and reorients our affections. And this moment does spark a turning point for us. It's a pivot. It's a shift in direction. And every single person who is a follower of Jesus and wants to become a follower of Jesus and move into this dynamic moving relationship with him must live a life of repentance. All of us, we must. When the Holy Spirit brings us face to face with things in our lives that we need to change, that need to be changed in us, then we have to embrace repentance. And we have to have this turn, this shift, and this pivot where we begin to move in a different direction. Yes, we say we're sorry, but then we change our patterns. Not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit helping to carve out new patterns for us. As Christians, we believe in the overwhelming grace of God that forgives us. It forgives sin in our lives. 
And it speaks forgiveness over every single part of our lives. And grace empowers forgiveness beyond anything that we can imagine. But grace doesn't just stay at this point of forgiveness. It also empowers transformation and invites us to move into this life of growth in grace. The same grace that brings about salvation, that brings about justification, also leads us into a life of holiness, a life of sanctification, of holy love, a life of deep and full, all-out surrender to the will of Jesus. John the Baptist shows us that we're supposed to say yes to repentance and live a life of that. When we're confronted with it, that's our answer. So what shift is is the Holy Spirit calling for in you today? Even as I'm saying those words, even right now as we pause for a moment, what are the things that he's bringing up in your heart, in your mind, that he's calling you to repent from, which is more than saying, I'm sorry. It's turning and beginning to head in the opposite direction. It's not just about saying, forgive the past, but it's carving out a new path and new patterns. What are you walking away from? And what is he calling you to walk into? Pause for just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show you that. Jesus, confront us with the things that we need to repent for. Help us to embrace it. Help us to say yes to it. Help us to surrender our pride so that we can. And we ask you to empower that in us. We don't have the strength to do it on our own, so we ask that you would empower us. Anything that you command us to do, you give us the strength to do. And so we're asking you to do that. Empower us as we turn. Help us to experience the same grace that brought forgiveness to us to lead us into a life of transformation. And please do not stop until the work is done. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the next thing is this. We say yes to baptism. All right. Yes to baptism. This, this powerful symbol uh, that John the Baptist is, is bringing people into, inviting people into and this symbol of them being buried in the water and then brought back up. Okay, and so uh, in the Old Testament um, understanding, in the in the Old Testament narrative of Scripture, this is connected to so much of the symbolism that has come before. So obviously, there's this symbol of washing, of going under the water, and this sense of being cleansed by the grace of God. Also, it recalls the experience of the people of Israel when they're set free from slavery out of Egypt and God opens up the Red Sea and they pass through the waters into freedom. So this move from slavery into freedom. So that's being symbolized as these people are going into the water and then coming back out. Also symbolized would be when God uh, leads Joshua and the people of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land where they cross over the Jordan. And again, the water is opened up as they cross over. So the same, all of this symbolism is a part of this. But when Jesus steps into the water and when Jesus embraces this, he infuses it with new meaning. He takes this old ritual and he gives it new layers of, 
of meaning. So for Jesus, Jesus is without sin. That's a key part of Christian doctrine, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is fully human and fully God, and that Jesus is without sin. So because Jesus is without sin, Jesus does not need to repent, right? He's the only person who doesn't need to repent. Okay, so Jesus is uh, without sin, so no need for repentance. So what does this baptism mean if Jesus is participating in it? For one, it means the fulfillment of all that Old Testament symbolism that I just talked about. All of that is finding its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus. But also he's bringing in new meaning because Jesus is showing us the pattern that his life is going to take. This is at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. He, he hasn't started his ministry yet. This is the first thing. And he gives us a picture of what he has come to do right here from the beginning. And so as Jesus participates in baptism, it's the symbol of burial, showing us that he has come to lay down his life, that Jesus has come to die. And in that death, he's going to bring us forgiveness of sin and reconciliation in our relationship with the Father. He's going to bring us back into that relationship with God. So that's what the burial represents. And then as Jesus comes back up out of the water, it's giving us this picture that the death of Jesus is not going to be the end of the story, that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. He's going to overcome sin in his death. He's going to overcome death in his resurrection. And that's what baptism is representing as Jesus participates in that. And so he shows us this picture of what is to come. He also invites all of us into that as well. All of us are invited into that kind of life, this life of surrender, this life of dying to our old selves and being raised up in the new life that Jesus wins for us as new creation in him. And he is inviting all of us into that. The pattern of the Christian life is a pattern of burial and resurrection. It's a pattern of burial and resurrection. It's a pattern of baptism. We see that laid out here. Every one of us is called to die, to die to ourselves, to our old selves, and to receive the new life that Jesus has for us. On a very practical level, I want to pause again, and I want to give you a moment to think and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And on a very practical level, what does it look like for you to embrace this life of baptism, to say yes to baptism? For some of you, it might be literal. It might be saying, hey, I've never been baptized before, and I want to be baptized. I want to step into that life into the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. I want that to be my story, and I want to make a public declaration of that. And if that's you, then we have these uh, connect cards here at the bottom. Fill that out. Let us know that you want to get baptized, and we will walk with you in that and celebrate with you in that. For others, it might be pointing to something else in our lives, something that needs to die. Something that needs to die. So that in that surrendering of it to God, he can resurrect it into something that we never imagined it could be. So pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction and leadership on what that looks like for you. What needs to die? What needs to be buried so, so that it can be raised again?
Holy Spirit, convict us. Show us. And give us the strength to say yes. Help us to trust you that what gets buried will be resurrected in a way that we can't even imagine. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This next uh, piece is this. We say yes to the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist shows us what it looks like to say yes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been on John the Baptist for his entire life, has anointed him for this specific kind of ministry and for this moment right here. But John the Baptist also points ahead to the moment when all believers will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and will be baptized in the power of of the Holy Spirit. He says, you come to me and I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. But the Messiah who is coming, Jesus, the King we've been waiting for, the Christ, he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so this is a prophetic statement that he's making, pointing ahead to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when after the death and resurrection of Jesus and ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the first believers, and all who are gathered there are filled with the Holy Spirit. New gifts are awakened in them, and the Holy Spirit unleashes this movement that we now call the Church of Jesus all around the world. We will say yes to the Holy Spirit. As a church, we make that commitment. We make that declaration that we will say yes to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit wants to lead us, who the Holy Spirit is shaping us into as the people of Jesus, as this community that is set apart for surrender. Part of that act of surrender is to pray this prayer of yes and to say yes to the Holy Spirit, to keep our hands open, as we talked about last week, this posture of having open hands for God to take out of our hands anything that we have been clinging to and holding on to for ourselves that he's been trying to free us from, we open up our hands to him, take it away. And as we have our hands open, we're also in this posture of receiving what he wants to give to us on some level, things that we never imagined were even possible. So John the Baptist is pointing ahead to this moment, and we live in this moment now. We live in this moment now. We want to be people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who continue to live a life that prays yes in response to the Holy Spirit. As we've said before, we will not build a dam where God has carved a stream. And we're going to be open to how God wants to move in us as a people. The next is this. Before we move, Holy Spirit, we say yes. That is our simple prayer to you. We say yes. Fill us with your power. Enable us to walk in obedience. Open up our minds and our hearts and our souls so that we can hear you. And keep us in this posture of obedience so that we can respond to you. Help us to be, to be people who walk in step with the Spirit. That's who we want to be. We say yes to you. Amen.
Amen. Next, we say yes in the pattern of John the Baptist. Yes to the beautifully backwards and upside down way of Jesus. So John the Baptist has this powerful ministry. People are flocking out to it to be a part of this. And Jesus shows up and says, I want you to baptize me. He recognizes who Jesus is. He is Jesus' cousin, after all. And, but he knows who Jesus is in the fullest sense. And so when Jesus shows up and says, I want you to baptize me, it says that he tried to deter him. and says, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And so he has this spirit of humility, and it goes right in line with who we know John the Baptist to be. John the Baptist, as soon as Jesus comes onto the scene, he points his own disciples away from himself and says, that's the one we've been waiting for. Stop following me. There's no need to follow me anymore. He's the one I've been preparing you for. Now go follow him. The disciples leave him. The ministry that is just buzzing around him goes away and moves to Jesus. And John the Baptist's response in John chapter 3, verse 30 is to say, I must become less, he must become greater. I must decrease, he must increase. And that's the pattern of John the Baptist. And so as Jesus comes and he says, you have to baptize me, he doesn't want to do it because he has this posture of humility. He knows that he has to decrease and Jesus must increase. But Jesus says this has to be done to fulfill all of righteousness. And so he says, yes. And so he says yes. And here's what happens when he says yes. When John the Baptist releases his yes, Jesus reveals his glory. And in this moment of saying yes to something that made no sense to him, it seemed completely backwards and upside down. It should be the other way around, Jesus. But when he says yes, he releases his yes, and Jesus reveals his glory. As Jesus is baptized and brought back up out of the water, it says the heaven opens up above them. A dove descends down on Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and we hear the voice of the Father say over Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is what happens when we say yes. I'm not saying that the heaven's going to open up and a dove's going to come down, okay? If it does, please come tell me, all right? I would love to know about that, all right? Um, but this is what happens when we live a life of yes. We do decrease and he increases. We end up pointing people to his glory. When we release our yes, what we end up doing is we end up revealing his glory. And he's using that yes to point people to himself. John the Baptist shows us that perhaps the most important prayer we could ever pray is yes. His life also shows us, though, the danger of this prayer. Because as John the Baptist continues to say yes to this mission that God has given him, as he continues to walk in step with the Spirit, as he continues to walk in obedience to God's mission and purpose in his life, then here's what ends up happening. Not only do his disciples leave him and the ministry leaves him and he becomes this obscure person as he continues to speak with boldness against uh, government leaders. He's in, he ends up being thrown into prison and ultimately he is beheaded. And in this moment, while he is in prison, awaiting this fate where he's about to be beheaded, John the Baptist has this moment of wondering, was this really the one? 
was this really the one? And so he sends one of his disciples. Go and ask him, are you the one that we have been waiting for? And Jesus says, go back and tell him that the blind see, that people are being healed, that new life is being released in people. Go and tell him that all the things that you have been waiting for are happening in me, are happening in me. The end that comes for him is not the end that he wanted. It doesn't look like revealing the glory to John the Baptist, I'm sure. But as he releases his yes, Jesus reveals his glory even in that, even in that. He shows us that perhaps the most important prayer we could ever pray is yes, is yes. And we live in this posture of saying, whatever that yes looks like, Lord, we're yours. Whatever that means for us, we're yours. Whatever that means for us, we're yours. In just a moment, we're gonna go into a shared prayer together that reflects this kind of covenant that says, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. And it's this prayer of embracing this all-consuming yes. But before we move into that, let me just challenge you with this as we close out. God calls us into obedience. He calls us to live this life of yes. He confronts us with it and he invites us into it. He calls for submission and for surrender. But do not be misled. As we get ready to pray this prayer of covenant together and this prayer of shared surrendering as a community set apart for surrender, do not be misled. Your obedience does not lead to God's love for you. Your obedience does not lead to God's love for you. It's his love for you that awakens obedience in you. He loved you first. Your obedience doesn't establish your identity in him. You don't get your worth or your meaning from making sure that you stay within the lines. Your obedience doesn't establish your identity in him. It's realizing your identity in him that sparks obedience, that awakens obedience, that creates this desire to live like that with him. I beg you not to get this backwards. Please do not get this backwards. If you do, you will live a twisted and torturous shadow of Christianity. You'll be a slave to fear and performance, and you will be a stranger to joy and assurance. Do not get this backwards. Do not get this backwards. From this very story, we understand this. As God the Father speaks this word of affirmation over Jesus the Son, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. According to what we see in the Gospels, Jesus hasn't performed any miracles yet. Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet. All of that is going to flow out of this word of identity spoken out of him. This word of identity spoken over Jesus doesn't come as a reward at the end. 
It's at the very beginning of his ministry and everything else flows out of it. Your identity is not something that you live up to. Your identity in Christ is something that you live out of. In one, there's slavery. In the other, there's freedom. He's inviting you in to that, into this life of the all-consuming yes. So I'm going to ask Wes to put that prayer up on the screen, and we're going to pray this together as a people, and this is our commitment together. Uh, if you were at the uh, New Year's Eve watch night uh, prayer service, then you will recognize this. Uh, we prayed this uh, in, in the varsity's upper room. Uh, it's that room that's upstairs. The varsity uses it for birthday parties, and on Sundays it's the nursery, but it's the upper room, all right? That's our, that's our prayer space. So um, we, uh, we met together and we prayed. It was a beautiful, beautiful time as we crossed over from one year into the next, even from one decade into the next, and we did that in prayer in alignment with this year of prayer that he's called us into as a people. And we sealed our time together with this prayer taken out of church history. And so we're going to seal our time together this morning in the same way. If you are prepared to embrace this life of the all-consuming yes, then pray along with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, Glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And with the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Amen. Amen, by the way, is another way of saying yes. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. This resounding yes of Jesus to the will of the Father. This resounding yes of Jesus, of his love for us. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus was around the table with them, sharing in this ritual and this meal that they had shared together many times before. But just like in the moment of baptism, in this moment, Jesus takes an old ritual and infuses it with a new layer of meaning, keeping the old layer intact, but also revealing and fulfilling an ultimate and new picture of what this means. Jesus took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken to make you whole. Jesus took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup is my blood poured out for the salvation of the world, for the forgiveness of sins. So 
for the redemption of humanity. Every time you share in this meal, remember what Jesus has done for you and embrace it yet again. This is what a life of the all-consuming yes looks like. And he invites you to share in that. We'll have two stations today. One on this side, one on that side. If you need a gluten-free option, then that will be available for you here. As you come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, taste and see that the Lord is good. And as always, as every Sunday, uh, there will be stations for prayer available as well. If you need someone to pray for you, then there'll be someone down front to pray and also in the back uh, ready to pray with you. Come. And embrace the all-consuming yes. Amen.